you would this evening, let's turn back to 2 Peter this evening. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're in verse 10 tonight. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. We're looking at face fight part 2. There's, of course, face fight starting with last, last week, and we'll have a, actually a third part. I was thinking about doing this all together, but it's, it's kind of lengthy, so I figured I'd break it up between the night and next week. And we're talking about false teachers, false teachers. We're just going through the scriptures and exactly what it said here in 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at verse 10. The scriptures tell us, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh, the lusts of uncleanness, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation, accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, may be taken and destroyed, speaking evil things they understand not, shall utterly perish in their own corruption. They shall receive a, the reward of unrighteousness, for they, for they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots are they, are, they are in, in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own uh, deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. And heart that have exercise with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, who was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray, God, you'd help us to be wary of false prophets. We are in the midst of a land where they are everywhere. And I pray, God, that you help us to recognize uh, their situation, their circumstance, or their sin. Help us to recognize it, Father, and flee from these things. And help us, Lord, to any of these characteristics we see in these men, uh, Lord, or these women, help us not to see them in our own lives. I pray that you bless tonight. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. So several things we started out with. We talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, the heretics, the doctrine of the heretics. The doom of the heretics, but this week we're talking about the deeds of the heretics, the doctrine, what is actually being taught by these men and women, the doom, what we've seen already, what, what's going to happen to them, but tonight we're talking about their deeds. What are they actually, what are some things that they are doing uh, that cause problems? Well, first of all, an exposure of their conduct. What, are, what is their conduct? What is their wicked conduct that we see? We look again, verse 10. So chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. The lust of uncleanness. They are lustful. These are lustful people. The word uncleanness, uncleanness here uh, suggests the very act of defiling and points to the actual process itself. You get the idea of something becoming stained. You ever had a stain on your shirt? You ever eat some food at a restaurant and you say to yourself, Yourself, I don't think I need to worry about that spaghetti, and all of a sudden it's on your shirt. You've stained it. You've stained it. You have many, how many shirts have you ruined, ruined by staining something? Well, that's what these false teachers are. They're, they're stains. They, they change the color. They're, the word of God is true, but false prophets change what is true to that which is untrue. Or they'll take the truth and they'll twist it just a little bit because that's the, that's the 
that's the way the devil sells it. He likes to mix the truth with error. The truth, the er error by itself, everybody knows it's wrong. I mean, there's some truth in, in Mormonism. There's some truth amongst the Jehovah Witnesses. There's some truth amongst the Seventh-day Adventists. There's some truth among the Catholics. There's some truth among um, the Charismatics. There's some truth. There's some truth. But there's, a, there's some lie there, too. And that's why you got to know the difference between the two. If you don't know the difference between the two before long, you're actually doing something that shouldn't be done or saying something that shouldn't be said. That's why the Bible says study. Study the Word of God. We read listen to in Timothy last week in Sunday school class. Study the Word of God. Study the Bible. Study the Scriptures. That's it. But to study, it have to, you have to know it. It takes time. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just happen by osmosis. That would be nice, right? Nice if you put that thing on your head and it all comes in at one time. But the reason why I encourage you to read your Bible so you know the Word of God and you'll know the truth of it. And so when you hear darkness, you'll know it's darkness. You'll know it's darkness because it doesn't ring true. So these are, these are lustful men. They're unclean people. Secondly, they're lawless. They're lawless. We see the character of these anarchists. Uh, the, these, their innate law, lawlessness is revealed by the fact that they despise government. <laughs> it says they speak not to speak evil of dignities. Now, of course, during this time that is written, Believe it or not, the people in government here are a lot worse than the government that we have now. Right now, we are in a government that still tolerates Christianity. These folks, Nero, the Romans, they didn't tolerate it. Especially Nero. Remember, he fiddled why, why Rome burned. And he, he persecuted Christians. He actively sought out Christians to persecute and play sport with them, to have them... Uh, play games ultimately to their demise for his amusement. So totally different. But even in this situation, we're not to speak even of dignitaries. And you say, well, how do you go about doing that when they're wrong? Because dignitaries are wrong sometimes, aren't they? We see you honor the position because the position is God-ordained. All authority is placed, placed by God himself. Read Romans chapter 13. Read, read throughout the Bible. You see that God is the one who established authority. Authority is not the, uh, is not the, the idea of men. It's the ad idea of, of, of God. I would rather have bad authority than no authority. Would you be sad today if, the, if the, all the police in Gainesville County, Gainesville City, quit? If all, we had no police. Well, no police in Alachua. We'd be, we'd be in chaos. Now, they may not come when you want to. They may be understaffed and underpaid, but at least we got something. You call 911, you hope to have some help. But, dear friend, imagine having nothing. nothing. Something's better than nothing. Something's better than nothing. So we respect the position of authority, even though the person in the place of position could, should, may be wrong. And that's what he's saying. Because Nero, of course, was a wicked person. So we, we understand that chapter 2, verse 10, it says these, these despise this government, presumptuous. They are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. The idea of this word presumptions only occurs here to be daring, to be shameless, to be irreverent. Irreverent, shameless in speech. The word here 
self-willed, denotes person who is ruled by self-interest. They care only for themselves. They, they seek only to please themselves. They seek only to do what will benefit them, help them physically, monetarily. They're out for themselves. Whoa, that's a, that's a good word to call folks who are, self, who are false prophets. They're not, evil to speak, not afraid to speak evil of dignities. The word dignity denotes magnificence, excellence, glory of those who praise and honor or do, those who are pla- placed in positions of authority. So we see uh, people like that. And, and, of course, throughout scriptures, we know there's several uh, illustrations of this. Uh, I, think of, I think of Shimei. Shimei, who was a Benjamite, remember the first king of, of of Israel was a Benjamite by the name of Saul. Well, here is David. He's being a, he's being uh, betrayed by his own son Absalom. He's having to flee the city of, of of Jerusalem. And while he's fleeing Jerusalem, this guy Shimei is cursing him and throwing stones at him and saying, "All this is happening to you because of God, and you're not right with God." Now he's already imagine David. He's he's down. His son. Is, is rebellious, his son is causing him to flee his own, his own throne, his own city, and here's this guy who's kicking him wise down. And the Abishai, who is his right-hand warrior, says, let me kill him. And David says, no. Maybe this is what God is, God is doing this for a reason and a purpose, maybe for something we don't quite understand. But he could have he had him destroyed. I mean, later on, as you read, uh, his son took care of him. But no, uh, there's, there's, there's times where people have been definitely shameless and irreverent towards authority. We see in the scripture. Paul the apostle had opportunities when he was in prison to speak evil of dignitaries. In Acts chapter 24, verse 10, he says, Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned him to speak, answers, For as much as I know thou hast been of many years a judge and nation unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. He was respectful towards Felix. He was respectful towards Festus. He was respectful towards Agrippa and shared his testimony. His, his goal was that they be saved. He wasn't hateful towards them. He wanted them to see, he wanted them to know Christ as their Savior. So we see the we see the, the irreverence of Shimei, but the reverence of Paul, the apostle. Second, third, secondly, the conduct of angels in verse 11. This is whereas angels which are greater in power might bringing not really accusation against them before the Lord. Of course, angels have a lot more power and authority. We, didn't, we don't know how long angels have been around, certainly thousands of years. How long, we do not know. But even in their conduct, they've, they've, they've been given great power. The idea here of this power and might, is the word might is power, is dunamis. From, the word, from where we get to the, the word dynamite. Dunamis has to do with inherent power, mighty, untrammeled power. And, of course, we know that angels have this type of power. Apparently, when Moses died on Mount Nebo, Satan tried to gain possession of his body. He wanted, of course, that would be a great treasure for him. He could use it to uh, cause the, the saints to worship that relic. And in Jude chapter 9, it says that there's not bring a railing accusation against him a railing accusation but said the Lord rebuked thee Michael the archangel the mighty prince uh, wanted to pre- present uh, prevent Satan to do this but even Mike 
Michael the archangel did not bring a railing accusation against him. Why? Because Satan has some authority, has some power. So the angels, they have certain type of rules that even govern them. And if angels have rules that govern them when it comes to this type of things, we should have same things in our in our lives too. We need to we need to teach we need to teach our children to respect authority. That's lost in our generation. You know, that's whether you're a parent or grandparent, we always need to be teaching our children to respect authority. Not based on their personality, but based on their position. I always remind our children my kids, you know, when they, they say something about why this dad, why that dad, and obviously when they're kids, you don't have to go into the why. You just say do. But as the kids get older, especially in teenage years, just saying do, you can do that. But a wise parent will explain why you do what you do. And then the, obviously the relation even changes anymore once your kids become adults, which many of your kids are now adults. That, that's even a different dynamic that I'm entering into pretty soon here. My daughter's in her last year as a teenager, so I'm getting to learn, learn that little lesson uh, real quick. So what do you do? You teach, you teach obey authority because one of these days, they're going to be the authority. <laughs> and so if you, you want to question authority, how's it going to feel like when their authority is being questioned? So conduct of angels we see here, but the charge renewed in verse 12 Verse 12, it says here, but these are natural Bruce beasts. We get back to the topic of these wicked false teachers. These are natural Bruce beasts made to be taken, destroyed, speak evil of these things which they have understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. These apostates are described as beasts, brute beasts. Interesting word, this word brute here is a good rendering from the Latin brutus, which is it takes someone who is dull and irrational. Remember Brutus, Pi-Pi and Brutus, <laughs> the, big, the big guy, I kind of thought about him when I thought about this, this word brute. He doesn't have a whole lot of reasoning, abandoning sense, abandoning log logic for downright bad dis decisions, stupidity, not understanding things, not taking time to assess things. Saying things they shouldn't be saying, doing things they shouldn't be done, making making false false accusations. We see these people who are totally anti-God. I think of Ananias in the church in Acts chapter five. I think of Herod in Acts chapter twelve. Both men met judgment because they believed somehow they could attack God or, or lie to God without there be there be consequences. There was a man by the name of Sinclair Lewis in 1926 a novelist speaking in Kansas church who took out his watch and gave God 10 minutes in which to strike him dead. When Colonel Ingersoll made a similar statement, Joseph Parker re uh, remarked, did the gentleman think he could exhaust the patience of God in 10 minutes? You may have heard of a man by the name of Voltaire. Probably no man ever lived who written more bitterly of Christianity than Voltaire. The last letter that he wrote he said, I, the underwritten, do declare that for these four days, past days, having been afflicted with sickness at the age of 84 and not be able to drag myself to church, a reverend rector and Sulpice have been pleased to add to this many favors that of sending me 
the Abe Gitor, person Abe Gitor. I had to confess to him, if it pleased God to dispose me, I would die in the church in which I was born, hoping that divine mercy will pardon my faults. I will sign myself to the presence of Abe Mignon, my nephew to the Marcus de Villeville, my friend Voltaire. This was March the 2nd, 1778. But reconciliation with the church is not reconciliation with Christ. He died in such shrieks and blasphemies on his lips as to drive the nurses and doctors from their rooms. Why? Because he was getting ready to meet God. It's amazing when people get in pain and suffering. What do they say? They say, oh, even atheists. Because they know in their heart, their conscience tells them that there's a God. The most wicked atheist in the city knows in their heart. No, they will deny it. Their conscience says there's a God. There's a God. Why do people always curse Jesus? They don't, they don't curse Muhammad. They don't curse, they don't curse Confucius. They don't curse Buddha. When somebody says blankety blank, they're always cursing Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because he is the only power that is. Confucius is nothing. Muhammad is nothing. Buddha is nothing. They're nothing. Because they have no power. The only true power in this universe is Jesus Christ. That's why he's being cursed. That's why he's being blasphemed. That's why they do all they do. Because they know there's no, there's no other power in those folks. These false teachers are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, you can learn a whole lot of things. Book learning is, is, is admirable. But, dear friends, you can have all the book learning in the world. If you, don't have, if you don't have wisdom, how to apply that with what you learn. you got to be careful when you read something. That's why you have to, you know, that math book, you have to compare it to what the Bible says. That algebra book, with that history book, that science book, you compare it to what the Bible says. And if, if there's an error, it's not the Bible, it's that history book, it's that science book, it's that, it's that geography book. It's, there's, no, there's no error in this. That's why kids, especially who are going to secular college, have to be grounded in the word of God because their teachers are going to tell them lies. They're going to tell them they came from a monkey and from a big bang, which is not true. They're going to tell them that God doesn't exist. If they don't have a firm foundation in the word of God, they're going to trust a person who has tenure instead of this book, which is true. That's why you have to, they have to have a firm foundation. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? These false teachers are licentious. They're licentious. It says in chapter 2, verse 13, they receive the word of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while the fe they feast with you. Reminds me of Acts chapter 8, verse 9 through 24. <clears throat> of course, Peter would know and Paul, sure, would know about Simon Magus. Remember Simon Magus in, in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 24? He was a sorcerer, but he saw the apostles with their power laying hands on people in the name of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, and miracles happening. And what did he want? He wanted that power. So the Bible says he believed, he, he, made, he made a profession of faith in God, but he wasn't making it to be converted. 
to be saved. He made it because he wanted the power that they had. He just wanted that. He just wanted it. And ultimately, he became bitter because he could not do the same things that the apostles do. False teachers, they go around speaking things they should not speak. The word here is blemishes, spots. The word can be used to render stain. The word for blemishes speaks of being worthy of blame. They sporting themselves mean to live in luxury. We've talked about that. Pete talked about that in Sunday school class. Talked about people like Creflo Dollar who needed money for another jet so he can evangelize the world. Nah, I, worry about, I wonder about that. Hey, be very careful when you see that person on TV who says, send money, send $20 bills, and they'll, and they'll send you a, a, a prayer cloth they prayed over. You know, they even have, you, you look, you can, you don't have to look very far. You look, even play, folks like C, uh, 60 Minutes has done, has done documentaries on folks that are false teachers. And they'll find their, their prayer hankies in the garbage can behind their, behind their place. Be careful about false teachers. Be careful about people. You know, you, you got to trust. What does, does what they say align with the word of God? What they say aligns with the word of God. Listen. Don't just listen to one message and say, oh, they're the greatest thing. No, you better listen to four, five, six. Be careful about folks like that. <coughs> they're licentious. They're doing, their receivings mean to cheat, to give the wrong impression. They're sporting themselves to live in luxury. They are lost. These are lost people. They're apostate. They're corrupt. How do you know that? By their characteristics. They're having, it says in verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery. Why? They're, they're, they don't have any control. They have no, they have no self-control. They're, they're, they're a person of, of apathy, a person of apostasy. When you ever have apathy and apostasy, before long, you have immorality. It's a, a, even in the Christian's life. When you have apathy and you don't care about things that are right, when you're a lazy person, hey, laziness is, is, is a horrible thing. Laziness, lack of, lack of spiritual discernment, before long you have immorality. So it's like three sisters, they all go together. See that in a Christian's life. See that in unsaved people's life. Apathy, apostasy, immorality. They're addicted. Their addiction, they, they cannot cease from sin. They cannot cease from it. They're corrupt. They cannot give up. They cannot, they're always involved in some type of sin. They're always trying to hide their sin. They're incessant. They cannot rest. Peter points out their seduction. Being unstable souls. And that's exactly what Reuben was. Remember Reuben, we talked about him. He had a relationship with his with his one of his father's wives, Jacob's wife. Remember? We talked about that, and Jacob, at the end there, book of uh, Genesis, he gives some praises of Reuben. You're my firstborn. You're the might. You're the strength of my might. You have these different great characteristics. What does he say about him? He says, you're unstable as water. Unstable. That's the characteristics of, some, of somebody who's not spiritually right. Unstability. Unfaithfulness. People who do not have character. That's their, that's their, that's their, uh, that's their characteristics. They're beguiling. They're, they're trying to entice. They're trying to allure. These type of people are wicked. 
For instance, there was a man by the name of Bishop John Shelby Sponge of the American Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church was basically the branch of the Church of England that was in, of course, England. Then now the, the American branch is the Episcopal Church. And basically, the Episcopal Church has gone, to, has gone corrupt many years ago. I, I, I could not wreck anybody go to a, to a to Episcopal Church. I couldn't wreck anybody to go to a Methodist Church. There might be a few independent Methodist churches, but it is sad years ago, probably less than 50 years ago, a lot of these churches, we were the same. Now, there might be some differences like Presbyterians are going to say, we're going to sprinkle, we're going to baptize, and we may have some differences like that. But fu the fundamentals of the faith, 50 years ago, we could all say we agree on the fundamentals. We could agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. We could agree the virgin birth of Christ. We could read, we agree the Bible is the word of God. We could agree in the resurrection, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We could, we could agree on the second coming. Now, whether you want to say there are five or seven fundamentals of the faith, folks like Baptists and Methodists and Presby Presbyterians and, and, and uh, church, uh, uh, these folks Episcopal, we would have like the, the same beliefs. But not any more, folks. He wrote, a, he wrote a book called Rescuing the Bible from Fundamentalism. <laughs> We're fundamentalists. I just, named, I just named you the fundamentalist. I just named you who we are. And dear friend, if you ever leave Gainesville and go to another church, you better, first thing you do is say, Preacher, what's the fundamentals? What do you believe in? You believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes. You believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. You believe the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? Yes. You believe, you believe the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes. You believe the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ is blood? Yes. If those fundamentals aren't true, dear friend, you've got nowhere else to go. You've got nowhere else to go. Those are the fundamentals of the church. Of the, of the he said in his book, but we're skipping the Bible from the fundamentalism, he portrays Jesus as narrow-minded and vindictive. He denies a resurrection and says that evangelists twisted the facts. He denies a virgin birth, debunks the doctrine of the Trinity, likewise rejects the truth that Jesus came in the world to save sinners. He hates Paul, describing him as a representative of a self-loathing self -loathing homosexual. He sees the God of the Old Testament as sadistic, a sadistic God who imposed a vicious, vicious tribal code of ethics on mankind. Imagine that guy standing before God one of these days. He's going to stand before God one of these days. <laughs> now, this man who could, who could know the truth has rejected the truth. The modern apostate is just, the, is just like the old apostates of the old world. <clears throat> we see their sophistication in verse 14. They have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls of heart that have exercised with covetous practice, curse, curse children. They have a heart, have exercised covetous practice, and Peter calls them cursed children, cursed children, children of the wicked one, children of disobedience, children of wrath. Then he gives a biblical, a biblical <clears throat> explanation or sketch of someone who's like, who's like that. We see it in verse 15 of these people. They're cursed children. The exposure of their conduct and exposure of their claims. A biblical sketch. Who's he talking about? Well, look at verses 15 and 16 again. For in forsaking the right way, they're gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Who is, remember Balaam? Then Adam and Eve had Cain, Noah had Ham, Nimrod had Canaan, Moses had Korah, David had Ahithophel, Jesus had Judas. 
<coughs> but we see here in the Old Testament, it's basically, you can find this in Numbers chapter 22 through 24, the record of Balaam. Balaam. Balaam, Balaam if you read some of the words of Balaam, he seems like one of the most, one of the, one of, and that's, that's the uh, uh, characteristics of a, a false prophet. Some of the things they say are beautiful. You read some of the words of Balaam, it's like, man, this guy must, be, must know God. But he doesn't because it's not just what he says, it's what he does. It's not just what he says, it's what he does. Remember, he's, he's asked by the children of Moab to basically curse the children of Israel. And of course, he doesn't at first. He says, no, can't do that. God told him not to do it, and he did it. Second time, second delegation comes, says, hey, would you come and would you curse, curse uh, Israel? Of course, every time they come, they're bringing more money, right? They're not, they're not doing it. They're going to do this for free. They come with more money. So what does he do? Well, you know, God allows him to go, but God wants him to speak the right message. Don't go speak what you want. Do it the way I want you to do it. And, of course, he doesn't do that. And as he's on the way, his donkey says, I'm not going any, he basically doesn't go any further. Because a donkey is smarter than he is. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord and says, I ain't going to go. And what's, what's Balaam do? He starts beating on, the, beating on the donkey. And God allows the angel, uh, allows the, the donkey to speak. And basically the donkey is trying to speak, trying to speak some sense to old Balaam. Uh, sometimes donkeys have a whole lot more sense than other folks do. A whole lot more sense. And, of course, what does Balaam ultimately do? Ultimately, he does betray the Israelites all because of money, all because of that which is uh, paste pearls, things that do not, do not satisfy. He was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the, the, the madness of the prophet. What did he basically do? He said, hey, I can't, I can't, I can't curse them. Uh, if I curse them, it, 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 this is not going to do any good. So basically, instead of cursing them, he, he, he told them, hey, just be immoral. And he caused them to be immoral. The children of Israel to be immoral. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to hurt, you want to hurt them. I, I can't curse them, but we can corrupt them. We can't curse them. God wasn't going to let him curse them, but he could corrupt them. God was corrupt, and that was his, that was his teaching. You cannot curse them, so my advice is to corrupt them. You cannot conquer them, my Lord, but you know very well you can corrupt them. And exactly what happened? As you read the rest of that uh, passage. You know the children of Israel were corrupted. And there was immorality, and there was great death because of this person. And that's what, that's what Peter's doing. He's saying the, the false prophets of today are just like Balaam. They have some speech that sounds so good, but look at his actions. Why did he do what he did? He did that because he cared about the, the lustful things. He cared about money. He cared about power. He cared about position. He cared about stuff that which is temporal. Dear friend, people who live for God are not so much concerned about what they can see. They're more concerned about what they can't see. They're more concerned about love and patience and righteousness and joy and peace and, clean, and, and cleanliness and godliness. Those things we cannot see. But people who are wicked and false prophets, they care about money and things and houses and stuff and materials they cannot see. 
So you want to know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? One who cares about things and stuff and one who cares about that which cannot be put inside their house, put inside their bedroom. They cannot see those things because the temporal and the eternal are always are at odds with one another. So we get down to this and we, ha- we have to look at ourselves and say, hey, what are our motives towards God? What are our motives? The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints of marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, when we stand before God one of these days at the, at the white, not the white throne judgment, that's for sinners, but the judgment seat of Christ for saints, <clears throat> what God is going to do, he's going to judge the intents of our heart. What is the reason why we did what we did? Not just what we did, but what was the reason? What was the reason you gave that gift to so-and-so on Christmas time, at Christmas time? Was you doing it because you get another gift back? Or are you doing it simply out of love because you cared about the person? That, that's the intents of the heart. All we see is the outside, but God sees the inside. And, on, and, and only he can know it. Because, dear friend, if you go around starting trying to figure out why people do what they do, you'll drive yourself crazy. But you know what? God sees it. And he'll, he'll give reward or take rewards away based on the intent of the heart. What's our intent of heart? What are our motives? Are our motives pure before God? We get up in the morning and read the word of God. We ought to ask, we ought to ask the Lord to help us to be true, to be sincere, to be transparent, to be honest, to be totally different from false prophets and false teachers. False teachers are always lying. False teachers are always putting themselves in front of, before other people. They're always trying to get, 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 grasp, grasp, get. That should, that should be that we should be opposite of that. What was Christ? He humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Christ was opposite of what we just read, the description of these false prophets. He was lowly. He wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. He wasn't born. They they came. Yes, they came. The shepherds came. The angels came singing praises to him. The angels did. But he, he, he didn't come as the conquering king. He came as the child of Bethlehem. He's coming back, the King of King and Lord of Lords, in the second coming. But dear friend, we ought to, we must align ourselves to be more like Jesus. Align ourselves. What was Christ like? How can I be humble? How can I be more honest? How can I be more truthful? How can I be what God wants me to be, opposite of my self-interest? What are my motives? in everything that I do and say. Father, I pray, God, you'd help us tonight to take account of our lives, to be honest with ourselves, to do our spiritual checkup, to see whether our heart is right with God in every area of our life, in our finances, in our marriage, in our parenting, in our work. Oh, God, help us to be honest, help us to be true, help us to be forthright, Help us to be godly in every area of our life. God, if you show us an area of our life where we should 
we should be different or change or strive to be different, confess our sins and want to be different, I pray, God, you'd help us to be willing to make that change. With head bowed and eyes closed.